group can help them. Hey, I think that sounds like we got, oh, wow, we are good to go. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Good morning, guys, and welcome to our, uh, our final Men's Life um, of this session before we break for the Christmas holiday. And happy, uh, I guess, kind of final week of Advent. So that's always nice. Advent's certainly one of my favorite times of the year. Um, I know if you've been tracking with us on Sunday mornings, we've had a lot of discussion about Advent and the, what it represents. And I've really come to love Advent just because of the, the season of anticipation, you know, preparing for stuff. And it reminds me of, um, you know, one of the great uh, all-time cultural artifacts, The Simpsons. You know, there's an episode a while back where one of the characters famously toasts the greatest moment in all of life, not the memory or the deed, but the anticipation. And I think that's a great way to think about the season that we're in. It also, you know, brings up a lot of, um, you know, traditions and family custom stuff. We do a lot of stuff at our house. Uh, how many people do like, um, you know, the, the advent wreath, like with the candles and, you know, do stuff at home? Oh, yeah, we do that too. I love it. Just so many great memories of our family, our kids growing up, fighting over who gets to light the peace candle. Um, getting angry with each other. Dad, it was my turn to blow out the love candle. I hate that good one. So just, just great Advent memories with the, with the kiddos. Just wonderful stuff. Hey, before we get going, why don't we just pause? Join me in a word of prayer. Kind of get focused. We'll do some announcements, a few things to pique your interest and keep you motivated, and then we'll transition to our guest speaker for this morning. Well, good morning, Lord. Uh, it's good to be back again together. Thank you for being here with us. We start with, with thanks for the hands who've uh, prepared all the great food, helped us get set up. We're thankful for health and well-being and the opportunity to connect, to gather freely, to be in your presence. We're mindful of, oh, just a lot that's going on in our world, in our community, here in our church. We think about our brothers and their families who are struggling this time of year, people wrestling with health care issues. We're just going to take a moment. Let's just pause silently and just, just name some things. The groanings of our hearts reach out to the Lord. We don't have to have all the right words. Let's just pause and name some things before God this morning. Lord, there's just so much that it's often overwhelming, but we know that you respond even to just the, the groanings, the longings of our heart. And so the things we've named before you, the things that just overwhelm us in this world, we cast those cares upon you. We trust that you will make all things right. And we just ask for your discernment, your focus and attention this morning, that despite everything that's going on, that we know you've brought us here for a purpose and, uh, and we're excited what you have in store. So we lift all these things up to you. We're grateful for this time, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. 
All right, well, thank you for, for joining me in that. Always good to get started with the big guy upstairs who's present among us all and guiding us and directing us. A couple of announcements just to keep you up to speed on a few things. We got the, uh, the coat thing covered, so that's good. Also, looks like there was a little payment snafu. You probably saw the email, so some people may have gotten overcharged. If that was you, uh, thank you for your donation to Men's Life. Appreciate that. Now, you can get that resolved with Steve. Um, have a little extra Christmas shopping money to get that taken care of. Of course, we're not going to have men's life for the next couple weeks. So uh, those of you who have the automatic weekly alarm set, for, like, go ahead and change that right now. You have permission to get your phones out and mess with that. I uh, don't want to be waking up your wife or anybody early Tuesday morning next week. Isn't that the worst feeling when that alarm goes off and you get about halfway ready and you realize, oh, there's no men's life this week. Oh, great. Okay. So let's avoid that. So make sure you got that taken care of. A couple updates on uh, some of our brothers here. So we got an update on Steve. So from Carol, she says he is stable enough to come home and that may be this afternoon, which was a day or two ago. So we trust that he's, he's home. Yeah, home. All right. So Steve is home. Amen to that. And update on Charles. So we got an even more recent update. Steve just told me this morning the the trach tube or whatever, I don't know what the technical term is, but it has been removed. So that's always a good sign. Uh, Sounds like he's doing great and uh, is expected to be discharged to rehab this week. Okay, so good stuff happening uh, in that regard. Okay, uh, a couple points of interest before we transition to our speaker. Some things from the uh, MC Dispatch to just keep your interest peaked, keep you motivated to complement your coffee and uh, oatmeal this morning. First of all, it comes to us from the world of sports. So you may have missed it, but history was made Sunday night in the world of professional football. So if you had the TV on watching the Sunday night game, my Green Bay Packers handily took care of <clears throat> Mark Rosenberg's Chicago Bears. That's okay. But what you may have missed is the historic event that the Green Bay Packers' third-string quarterback got his first snaps in the NFL. Two kneel downs at the end of the game. But what's even more significant is not only was it his first snaps in the NFL, but it was his first time dressing for a regular season professional football game. And why this is of interest to us as men is because of what he posted on, on social media uh, following the game. So you may not be able to see the fine print here, but this is a Kurt, Ben Kurt, I have no idea where he's from or what his story is. This is his post. He says, Been in the league 1,319 days, and Sunday will be my first time suiting up for a game. Moral of the story, keep going. I think that's a great lesson for us. I mean, that's, there's a lot of talk these days about manhood and masculinity and what's, tr- what's a true man and all this sorts of stuff. That's a big part of it. That's what we do here as men is, doggone it, we keep going. It's early Tuesday morning. It's often pretty cold. We keep going. So I hope that you keep going, especially this time of year when there's a lot of pressure, a lot of stresses, all sorts of things. Second and final thing, a little video inspiration here to keep us going. 
So if you spend any time in our household, maybe you come to visit for a little while, you will notice that there are three primary commitments in the Koshman family in Superior, Colorado. First of all is our Christian faith. Second of all, the Green Bay Packers. And third, the PBS NewsHour, probably the most consistent ritual in our evening activity. And if you are a fan of the PBS NewsHour, you know that they have a long-time running segment that comes on, oh, weekly or so. It's called Brief But Spectacular. Brief But Spectacular. And it's basically a way of ending the news broadcast with somebody doing something interesting on virtually any topic, anything that's happening in our society. And last week, there was a Brief But Spectacular episode that really caught my attention and I think has a a good message for us. Again, in line with our first point of interest to keep going, you know, we're in a society where there are, again, lots of questions and debates about masculinity and manhood and what is a man and who should men be. Good questions, things that we consider here. In the midst of some of those confusions and questions, there are a lot of timeless principles that persist and stand out. And I think we're going to see a good example of that in this brief but spectacular. As a Tennessee native with a strong sense of his life's calling, he's a preacher and caregiver, providing services to seniors in his Nashville community, even throughout the pandemic. Tonight, he gives his brief but spectacular take on living a life of service. Caregiving is not a job. You you do a job to make something for yourself. But caregiving, you have to give something back from within yourself. mother and my father raised us to be good Samaritans. We don't look at color, we don't look at wealth, we don't look at money, we look at the individual person. And if we can help them, we we do. I was raised in church, about church, I breathe church, I live church. We are religious by choice and we teach folks how to treat one another as human beings not because of what you have or what you own or what you possess. It's just who you are. At 15 years old, I prayed to God that if he ever give me a brother, I would take care of him for the rest of my life. I was 20 years old when I found out that I had a brother. And when I went to visit my biological father, he introduced me to him. And from then on, I decided that I wanted to be a part of his life. My brother is highly challenged. He does does not speak. He does not chew. And I told my father that whatever you need, let me know. And I will help, help you with him. Later on in the year, my biological father passed. And we found his mother a couple of years later in the, in, on the kitchen floor. Aneurysm. So her, her daughter took her with her to another county and took care of her, and I took my brother with me. That's how I got him. So I took, that's why I took him in. And it's been lovely ever since. He lived better with me than he did with them because they was ashamed of him. I'm not ashamed of him. I don't go nowhere that he cannot go. Caregiving is a calling. You have to want to help somebody. You have to look beyond yourself, your problems, your disposition in life, 
and see that you can lend a helping hand. I'm in my second church and I've been there for 16 years. If you want to help somebody, you can start with the person next door to you. We all in this together. This pandemic has brought us together one way or another. The people that you can help, please help. Even if it's just taking out the trash to the curb so the trash man can come by and pick it up where they can. It's just simple stuff that you can do. It don't cost nothing but a little bit of your time. It ain't what you do for yourself that's going to last. It's what you do for others. My name is Terrell Scruggs, and this is my brief but spectacular take on helping people. Thank you, Terrell Scruggs, and we all need to remember. Amen to that. Okay, so in the midst of confusion and cultural debates about manhood and masculinity, we can cut through all of that. If we keep going and we live lives in service to others, we will always get it right. So some things to keep in mind here uh, as we wrap up our first session in men's life. Okay, now for the, uh, the big moment, we're going to transition to our guest speaker for this morning. You all are in for quite a treat, but I'm going to hand it over to Craig, who's going to do our formal introduction. Not too formal. Come on up, Come on up, Marvin. I want to tell just a little bit about Marvin. Marvin was a, a member here, or I'm not sure you ever remember. Anyway, he participated here for several years, and one of the ways that we got acquainted was through the Lamb's Ministry, which is where, where Marvin first came. If you guys remember Vernon, Vernon is the one who brought Marvin. So we thank Vernon this morning, too. His picture's in the kitchen, if you don't remember Mar uh, Vernon. But anyway, the... Uh, the, the Marvin has been a blessing uh, for forever. I'll tell you two little two little clips. One was that when uh, when we were doing Lamb's ministry, Marvin uh, took over the responsibility of giving a Bible lesson to the homeless in the annex on Sunday mornings, and it was an alternative so that we had a place for the homeless whenever they would come to church, they could go over to the annex. And when Marvin would be speaking, there would be 25 or 30 people, homeless ministry people, over at the annex. And when Marvin wasn't there, there were three. And that, that tells a lot about how Marvin was uh, so attractive and how God has used Marvin forever. And uh, Marvin, uh, Marvin also was, became a pastor in the prison. God, sent, God recruited him and put him in prison because those guys needed to hear the word of God. And uh, Marvin was there to give it to them. And, uh, and it's just, uh, just such a blessing. Every time I'd go down to visit Marvin down in Florence, it was, it was a Bible lesson and an encouragement for me. It wasn't about Marvin, it was about what he was going to give me. And that's Marvin's life. Since he's been out, it's been the same way. He's in, he was in a halfway house, he was doing Bible studies, he's doing AA. And, uh, and, and it, his life is all about God and what God is doing in his life all the time. I praise God for Marvin. Now Marvin asked me to read a passage of scripture. If you want to turn, it's Psalm 51. And I'll start with that. As soon as I get my glasses on, I'm going to read that. <clears throat> Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, 
Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in the truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, that I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let me let the bones you have broken rejoice, and hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence, and take me not... Or, or take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guilt, uh, guiltiness, O God, and O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud for you, uh, uh, of your righteousness. That's enough. Glad to have you, brother. <laughs> I got one. want y'all to hear me this morning. Good, good morning, guys. Uh, let me talk to the Lord first with us. Father, I thank you that uh, even now, God, I just ask you to step in and send your anointing, God, and your Holy Spirit to just take over the rest of our time together. God, we want to make this all about you, that you'll get all the glory and all the honor and all the praise throughout this day. And we love you in Jesus' name. So, first of all, I want to give an honor to God uh, and to Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of my life today. Um, I thank the Holy Spirit every day for his ever-present presence in my life. I uh, want to say thank you to Steve Cartwright, my brother in Christ, for inviting me to share with you all this morning. Um, Before I get started, I just feel the need to make some amends to many of you who may have been around when I was here last. Today, being a part of the program of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous uh, and working the 12 steps with a sponsor, the ninth step suggests that we alcoholics make amends to any person that we may have harmed or offended while we were in active addiction. So I ask each of you for forgiveness today. (laughs) If that is you, and you were in any ways offended by my past behaviors, Um, I used Psalm 51 as an opening voice of scripture simply because it expresses one of the clearest examples of repentance in all of scripture. Countless broken sinners such as myself found in these words an exquisite expression of our need for God's mercy and forgiveness. 
uh, that passage has helped me to uh, examine my excuses, my half-hearted repentances, my lack of sorrow over my past sins that kept me from experiencing true pardon. Those words also demonstrate the place of hope within my confession. May you use this psalm as a starting point if you're even now dealing with any sense of distance or guilt that is affecting your relationship with God. So while many of you know, I spent the last few years of my life in the prison system. And while I was there, I began to journal about this glorious transformation the Holy Spirit was taking me through. And uh, right before COVID-19 hit, I sensed the Lord that he had leading me to put these words into a book form. So today I'll just be sharing some of my time at, Fremont Correctional, at the Fremont Correctional Facility. And I've entitled the book, There's Treasure in the Darkness. Uh, the forward reads, many people are under the assumption that when a man or a woman receives a prison sentence, that it's always about punishment. But today, having served time in their prison system, I can firmly state that it is from behind those very prison walls that the Lord is building for himself an army of men and women. Those who once released will be able to say along with myself, in confidence, look and see what the Lord has done. See, I'm forever thankful to God for having written that time at Fremont with my brothers in green. It was there that the scripture in Isaiah 30, 15 came to life in me. Uh, the NLT version says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, only in returning to me, resting in me will you be saved. And quietness and confidence is your strength. But you would have none of it. And the Message Bible really says it best for me. Eugene Peterson did a great job. It says, God, the Master, the Holy One of Israel, has this solemn counsel. Your salvation requires you to turn back to me, stop your silly efforts to save yourself. Your strength will come from settling down and complete dependence on me, the very thing you have been unwilling to do. I have to admit, <laughs> I surrendered. I confess, I, I realized that no amount of fast talking or, or hasty activity would speed up God's grand design. And as he says in uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, Marvin. <laughs> plans to give you a hope and a future. Today, I truly have nothing to say to God but thank you. And, and I say thank you <laughs> because there's no way in heaven that I, Marvin Green, would have written any of that time at Fremont for myself. He's God, and I'm so glad he's God all by himself. I say thank you because uh, salvation comes from God alone, and because he saved me, I know that I can trust him and be confident uh, and, and live peacefully confident that he gives me strength to go through this time in my life. And having laid down my well-made plans, I now quote along with other saints. God works together all things, all things, because I do love him and I know that I'm called into this service for his purpose. God works in everything, not just isolated incidents. I know that not everything that had happened to me from my past was good. Eve was pre prevalent in this world. But God is able to turn every circumstance around for my long-range good. I know that today. Now that portion of the book that I wrote was written my first years being away. So now I'm going to skip ahead a few weeks, a few years. And I wrote at the time that I was writing this that I had the privilege of reading a book entitled Overcoming Spiritual Blindness. And in it, the author talks about this, the trust grid, T-R-U-S-T, grid. 
the author's name is James P. Gillis, and he's an eye doctor, and he says that the first T is trust, and trust is thankfulness to God. The R is to rejoice in him, and the U is to understand God's word, and the S is to sing out to him and exhibit it in praise, and the last T is thoughtfulness of others. I like to just said thoughtfulness of others. He says in the book, one aspect of spiritual blindness is found in some people's belief that God exists somewhere out there. However, his eminence is seen in the design of the human body, its mechanics, its mechanisms. This should cause all of us to appreciate and worship him. Unfortunately, people today live with such a dysfunctional unction. He says that they cannot relate to God or each other in a meaningful way until they humbly come to God and learn to trust him fully. See, I heard those words, and I can't but help think about my mother's sister. I was sitting in her uh, kitchen one day, her aunt Katie, and she said, boy, she said, the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 should be your life verse in a, in a little southern slang. And I said, yeah. She said, yeah, you trust in him with all your heart and, and, and all your ways. She said, you acknowledge him. He will direct your path, and he will make them straight. Today, as I've come to now, learn to trust God fully, I find peace and I find joy. So it is from this time on, I know that my task is to trust him with my whole mind, my whole heart, and my spirit. And in living in such a way, it will prevent my own self-destruction as it has so many times in the past. I must carry God's word within me. It's got to be enlivened by the Holy Spirit to experience such trust. Even as I'm writing this, we're in the midst of what they're calling the coronavirus. And while I was in prison, we were presumably safe. That is, until someone from the outside brought the virus into our living space. And the truth be told, the virus actually didn't become real to me until my eldest brother, Larry, became deathly sick from the virus. And as much as that news had grieved my heart, uh, my mind continuously went towards my mother, Florine. Uh, dear lady, even, even though she being grounded and rooted in the word and the ways of God, she's still Larry's mother. And I'm a witness to the fact that there's no love like a mother's love, excluding God. I'm blessed today. I've been surrounded by brothers in the faith who continuously encouraged me and they kept me in prayer. I'm thankful that I've come to learn to just trust God. I know that I must be willing to be humbled and surrendered every day and rest in his love and power. More and more I'm coming to realize that all of life is to us. Our bodies, our loved ones, uh, our daily bread, all of our experiences, bad and good, everything springs from God. So the meaning of my life is to appreciate him and to worship him for all of it. Refusal to do so is not a mere oversight. James Gillis said it's sin. And scripture even says in everything we give thanks to God for this is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18. It was here in this seemingly dark place that the scriptures such as Proverbs 2, 1 and 5 took on true meaning. It says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your heart to wisdom and imply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. 
Today my spiritual sight is found in communion with him and in faith, living in him. And the secret to living in him is the abiding, is being in the anointing and the empowerment. This abiding life is anointed by Jesus Christ himself because he is the anointed one in whose presence I choose to live. In this abiding, I find a desire to live faithfully in his stewardship and his gift of life. Uh, when I'm in continual appreciation of who God is in my life, and when I become aware of the creator, and, and I can look in the mirror every morning and marvel at the miracle of my being humbled before him, I'm filled with thanksgiving, rejoicing, and peace for all the years that I knew I was a Christian, but I didn't really know God's word. I was born again, but I still did things my way instead of learning to follow God's way. And once I learned that God loved justice and he wanted to deal with the things of my past himself instead of me trying to do it my way, everything started to change for me and I will not say that it happened overnight. Uh, I, even today, I, I battled with thoughts of rejection and, and abandonment, but gradually my brokenness was healed. And God truly took the bad things that I experienced, and he worked them out for my good. God requires us to let go of the past and forgive completely, to pray and forgive those who hurt us, and even bless them as he leads us in how to do that. God himself says that he gives beauty for ashes and joy to replace mourning. I realize that the journey is the goal. So maybe now is a good place to tell you how the Lord had worked in my life at a very young age. At the age of seven years, until I was 11, I had been sexually molested. I was raped, if you will. About a year after that began, my mother began in church at the Mount Olive Baptist Church in Plainfield, New Jersey. I was eight years old when I was first introduced to a man named Jesus Christ. Years later, I was able to ask the Lord, why had I been allowed to go through all of that? And the answer today is prevalent in my life today. At the age of 15, I got saved. But I still hadn't allowed him to be the Lord of my life. Yet, by his mercy and his grace, I've been able to maintain my faith in Jesus even till now. Scripture tells us that our ways are not God's ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And to make a long story short, shorter around all of that, I refuse today to live in and in with a victim mentality. For years, I drank, I drugged, I tried to dull the pain and the shame and the abuse. Now, when I read about the Apostle Paul, I'm challenged to become like him. <laughs> I read of his longing for Christ in Philippians 1. For me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. <laughs> but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Jesus Christ because of what he's doing through me. Also, when I think of the Apostle Paul's perseverance through suffering and his love for people, now that stirs me. I want to look like him. I want to come to the end of my life and knowing I have not wasted it. It's his example and it's not his words that move me. I'm again reminded of a time when we were in the uh, Mount Olive Baptist Church. I was eight years old and we were sitting in the church and, and, and being the youngest, I had the privilege of always going to church with my mom because I believe she herself was trying to find her footing in this world. The choir would come uh, dressed in their flowing robes and they'd come down and... Uh, 
They sing this, this gospel song. I'm going to do my best to try and hit a note. Don't laugh. No laughter. I, I'll be watching. <laughs> so it's, uh, the song was, and I remember it so clearly. Don't you know that we've come this far by faith? Leaning on the Lord, we're trusting, trusting in His holy word. Thank you, Jesus. He's never failed me yet. Oh, 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 I can't turn around. We've come this far by faith. Just the other day, I heard a man say he didn't believe in God's word. But I can truly say, Woo, the Lord has made a way. He's brought me this far by faith. Woo. Thank you, Jesus. Those words can and should be resounding throughout every Christ-following house of God in the nation, the world even. And so as I close, let me please encourage anyone who will read my book. <laughs> uh, always remember to seek the Lord while he can be found. Call on him now while he is near. How, how much time I got? I'm, I'm, I'm good? Yeah. All right. I brought my other big book, too. <laughs> this is the big book of this is the, the other big book. This is the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I read this passage a lot in in different uh, meetings because a lot of guys come in and they're fighting with God and they don't want to hear the God word in the meetings. But I tell them that's that's where they're going to fall short. What do I do with my glasses? Like you, if I don't have these, I ain't gonna be able to read nothing. I just had them. Oh, there they go. Come on, Matt, help me. <laughs> Sitting there gritting. What <laughs> Matt's laughing at me off here. He's like, a mess. All right, I got him. Here we go. Page 62. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us, seemingly without provocation. But invariably, we find that at some time in the past, we had made decisions based on self, which later places us in the position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must rid ourselves of selfishness. We must, or it kills us, and God makes that possible. And there, often seem, and there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. And many of us have had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. And neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. And this is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. And next, we, dis 
decided that hereafter, in this drama of life, God was going to be the director. He's the principal, we are his agents. He's the father, and we are his children. Most good ideals are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and the triumph arch through which we passed to freedom. We sincerely took this position. When we sincerely took this position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. And established on such footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans, and our designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. And as we felt new power flow in, and as we enjoyed peace of mind, we discovered we could face life successfully as we became conscious of his presence. We began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, and hereafter. We were re reborn. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for this time. God, I just love you, and I just thank you for these men in my life. God, I know that you have a purpose and a plan for each one of the men in this room. God, I ask you to anoint their lives, take care of their families, God. Put a hedge of protection around them, God, during these times. It's some strange times we're living in, Father, and we just know that you're still in control and you're still on the throne. Touch us, God, anoint us through the rest of this day, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you, guys. Amen. Marvin, thank, thank you. That was fantastic. You know, with all of the technological sophistication of our society and our networked and distributed relationships, there is nothing like being together in a room of other people listening to great stories. Thank you for what you had to share, Marvin. Let's uh, keep the momentum going. We've got our, our handout for, for this week. Make sure you grab that. Lots of good discussion questions using Marvin's story as some points of departure to make connections to our own personal testimony, things we've wrestled with. Let's uh, continue to gather together to, to gain from the wisdom of our experiences with other people. And uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks after the holidays as we start Men's Life Season 2. Okay, Session 2 for this, for this season. Take care, guys. Have a good small group, and we'll see you in a couple weeks.